Warning! Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we are doing a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down season two, episode 12, Van Kempen's House Party. Now, let's get our fix. Well, hot off the presses, it sounds like Bravo TV and Andy Cohen have finally made a decision about what is happening with Roni. And as it's being reported, it looks like they're going to do a total reboot of Real Housewives of New York City. New cast, younger faces, whatever. And then they're going to do a Roni Legacy show. I think that's what they're going to call it, Roni Legacy, where they bring back all of our favorite OGs, or at least reportedly, they're going to bring back all of our favorite OGs. And I'm dying to know what you guys think about this, because I definitely have my opinions, no shock. I mean, what do you think about totally rebooting Roni, making it really a totally new show, and then still having the OGs on a second Roni show? Write into us, add us, whatever. I'm dying to know what everyone thinks about this. And as for my two cents, I have a very strong opinion on which network this is airing, because it's rumored that they're going to put the Roni Legacy show on Peacock, which I've heard is not doing so well and needs some help. And I think that is a huge mistake. If anything, put this new Roni about a bunch of people nobody cares about yet on Peacock and bring Roni Legacy to us on the Bravo channel where it belongs, where it's always been. And as for the cast, I really hope they hold true to understanding we want to see the legacy players. I don't need a Jules Weinstein. I don't need a Carol Radziwill. I really think if they want to hit it out of the park, you bring back Jill. Luann, Ramona, Alex McCord, if you can get her, Sonia Morgan, Dorinda. I mean, because what are you doing here without Dorinda? And maybe even like Heather Thompson or Tinsley, a couple of the girls who are a little bit younger and bring a little something different to the show. The reason why I say Tinsley, because I don't really, I don't remember really liking her when she was on the show. She wasn't my favorites. I found her a bit insufferable. But she does bring that true socialite, Real Housewives of New York City vibe. And you don't get that from a lot of other players. And if they want to bring back the total crazy, you bring back Kelly Ben Simone. And of course, it goes without saying, you bring back Bethany. But I don't think Bethany's going to come back, especially if it's a Roni legacy show like on Peacock. No, Bethany's not coming back for it. But my God. Especially going back through these old episodes, it just reminds you that she is one of the best and most iconic housewives to ever grace our screens. And I think a show like that could support a bigger cast, especially if they went back to the OG style of doing housewives, where we actually followed the women in their lives and what they're doing. And of course, they're friends, at least some of them are, so they do inter- you know cross each other's paths and there is interaction, but they have to be independently interesting 
if you follow their lives. So don't do that thing where you put a bunch of 60-year-old women in a room and take them on vacation and try to get them to all fight with each other. No, that's not what we're looking for. I want old school Rony legends doing old school Rony things that don't have anything to do with setting up totally fake and for the camera fights. So heads up to Bravo TV execs and Andy Cohen. If you want to have a hit, I'm just saying I gave you the blueprints. All right, enough about that. Let's dive into the episode because we are getting closer and closer to season three. So let's do a quick summary because it's turtle time. All right, it's turtle time, which means it's time for a quick summary of the episode. As for Jill, this episode, we watch her help the Van Campens pick drapery and fabrics for their house renovation at Zarin Fabrics, of course. And then we also get great moments with Bethany, where she basically tells her she doesn't feel that she's going to be able to balance life and work to the level of success that Bethany wants. And Jill does seem a little bit negative, just, just in my opinion. And then we get to see Jill's reaction to the Van Kempen's house party reveal, an aptly named episode, where she checks out the work by Zarin Fabrics, which I think passes her inspection. And everyone has a good night. And then lastly, we get the very beginning of Jill's one of her final charity meetings that we get on the show, where she asks Bethany and Kelly to come over to her house a bit early in hopes of being the peacemaker between the two of them. And it gives us another epic Bethany Kelly scene. And as for Bethany, we get a lot of her this episode. We follow her to Frankie La Officiale, where she gets her hair done and set up on a blind date with a former model nonetheless. And then we watch as she confides in Jill about how is she possibly going to have it all to at least the level that Bethany wants. How is she going to have it all between love and, and business? She really worries that she may end up alone. And Jill doesn't seem to disagree, which I just find is so interesting. Then we get to actually follow Bethany on her blind date with Philippe, the former model. And it's fun to see her flirt and have a good time because she's not really going to have so much of a good time when Jill asked for her to come and meet and talk with Kelly. Which leads to lastly, another iconic sit down with Kelly where Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs shows up yet again and delivers some epic early Real Housewives of New York City craziness. And then for Alex... She's got the big reveal of her house renovation and the housewarming party this episode. So much of what we see of her revolves around planning the party and racing to finish the renovations in time for the party. We get to have a sneak peek of some of the construction snafus that happen when the rain becomes a total storm. And Alex steps up. She plays general contractor for a bit. We also see her talk with Simon about who they're going to invite to the housewarming party. And Simon oddly really wants to invite Ramona. He has strong feelings about it. And Alex really doesn't want to. But in the end, she says she doesn't care. And she goes ahead and invites Ramona, who, surprise, doesn't bother to show up to the party. But in the end, the renovation is a total success. And she did finish in time for the party. And as I said, although the style is a bit too bordello for my liking, it was a huge improvement to what they were living in before. And as for no-show Ramona, we follow her yet again to Dr. Sharon Giese's office to try a technology to address underarm sweating, which I got to give her credit for doing that on camera. And of course, she then throws in a laser, laser treatment for facial dark spots, too. And although that's all we get of Ramona this episode, because she doesn't attend the Van Kempen's house party, 
We still get a preview of more Jill Ramona drama with a few shots fired at Ramona by Jill, so she's not far from our mind. And then as for Luann, we don't get a lot of her in this episode either, but she does invite Kelly for like a girls' night out drinks thing because two of her nieces are in town and she thinks Kelly's young and will be able to connect. And at the restaurant, we get another crazy Kelly scene where it really starts to become a lights are on but nobody's home situation with Kelly. And even Luann picks up on it. And then, of course, Luann also joins the rest of the crew, Sans Ramona, for the Van Campen's house party. And then finally, we have Kelly, Crazy Kelly, and she gives us two more epic Kelly scenes this episode. First, we get her scene with Luann and her nieces, where she not only invites Max, Maximiliano Palazzo, on a girls' night, but proceeds to show new levels of just, dare I say, stupidity. But as Bethany says, I don't think she can tell the temperature of the room. And then we get an even more iconic scene with her second sit down with Bethany, where she acts like a lunatic and just wants Bethany to stop. Bethany, stop, stop. It's classic. And although the episode does stop there with a to be continued, we're not going to stop because it's time to mention it all. Roni's Season 2, Episode 11, Van Kempen's House Party, opens with Jill. No surprise, she's still our main character. And she's at Zarin Fabrics waiting for Alex and Simon to arrive because she's going to discuss their home renovation and help them with some fabric selections for the house. So the Van Kempens arrive, and I think it's very telling that Simon knows his kids are totally out of control because the first thing he says, because yes, they brought their kids to Zarin Fabrics, is they walk in and he sa- he picks both the boys up, one in each arm, and says to them, this is where we look with our eyes, not with our, with, not with our fingers, right? It's like he knows right off the bat, but why would you bring them? I just, whatever. And I love it because Jill shows up, she greets them at the door, and she goes to kiss both of the boys, and both of them, being the little brats they are, kind of pull away from her and give her a dirty look. It's pretty funny. And right from the jump, their boys are misbehaving. They're roughhousing, they're grabbing things, just being completely bratty. You can tell they have zero discipline. And Alex is having to jump up and down and try to stop them from doing things as she's trying to sit with Jill and Simon going over some certain fabrics and things for the window treatments. And as Jill says in her confessional, the boys were simply flying off the walls. So we watch them. They're looking at samples. Again, the kids are grabbing and just making menaces of themselves. They go upstairs to the the fabric kind of warehouse where they have upstairs because, as Simon explains, they've waited till the last second. So they have to have things that are in stock. They can't order things that are out because this party is happening and it's coming fast. And again, it's like when they're up in the, the room, Francois is grabbing all the fabrics and hiding in them. And instead of saying, hey, boys, that's not appropriate here and teaching them how to have manners in other people's places of business. Simon's like, oh, hey, hey, Jill, do you know where Francois is? And it's like, it's funny. And you can tell Jill is like, oh, God, you've got to be kidding me. And then there's another hilarious moment where Simon is walking around. He has Francois or pardon me, Johan on his shoulders and Francois is hiding in the fabric. And he says, hey, Jill, do you know where uh, Francois is? And she looks at him. She's like, he's on your head. And Simon's like, no, this is Johan. Francois is my other son. I just love it. It's such a Jill moment. And again, we're cutting to the kids being totally crazy. 
But Simon is setting the tone because there's several scenes where he's grabbing the boys by their ankles and holding them up upside down. And he himself is acting totally inappropriate and roughhousing with them and encouraging them to behave this way. They learn from example, Simon. I wonder where they get it. He just totally sets the wrong tone with the kids. It's it's frustrating to watch. But again, probably good TV. And we get a confessional from Alex where she explains that she and um, Simon's taste is dramatic and has a little bit of a flair, which we do see in the final renovation. And as they're going through things, Brad shows up. He's clearly helping them with some of the design aspects. And in the end, they end up picking out this red and black, very bordello type fabric. It's got like floor de lis It almost looks like it, the black part of it would be velvet, the design on it. Maybe it is. I don't know. But the scene ends with them selecting their fabrics, and now they're off and running and hopefully going to get done in time for the housewarming party. And then we cut to Bethany. We get a lot of Bethany this episode. I really am noticing these last couple of episodes, the, the snowball is picking up and getting bigger for Bethany. So she's getting her hair done at Frankie La Officiale. Remember, we met Frankie before. He went with her to the Social Life magazine party where she was the cover model and hosting that party over the summer. He's one of her gay best friends. And as Bethany says, she needs to wash that gray right out of her hair. And as she's getting her hair prepped with Frankie, Frankie, she asks if he's straight yet because she said he would just be perfect for her. He says no, but he does have someone great for her that he wants to set up on a blind date. He explains it's a guy named Philippe. He's a former model. Bethany right off the bat's like, I, I don't do models. That's not my gig. And we see Bethany's confessional. She explains she doesn't date models or actors. She usually dates people who are a bit more intellectual, into business, conservative. I can't help but think maybe it's a little slight to Kelly, who's a model. But as Frankie explains, this guy is a former model and he's a businessman now. And then he goes on to explain to Bethany that he Googled her to show Philippe a picture of her. And you can tell Bethany can't get it out of her head. She's like, you have to show me what photo you showed him of me. So they go into Frankie's office. He goes through the internet. He shows her what he showed to him, which is a picture of her on the red carpet with Cookie. It must have been some sort of event where you bring your dog. She's in a turquoise bikini. Her boobs are like up to her chin. It's it's crazy. It's a great shot, probably before she had them removed. And Bethany says, well, obviously he's a boob guy if he liked this photo. But we see a lot of Bethany's insecurities about the way she looks come out here. Because she's asking, well, does he date models? Frankie's like, well, not anymore. He did, but not anymore. And Frankie says, well, you know, definitely your body. My God, look at that picture. It's ridiculous. And Bethany says, well, of course, as long as he looks at my body and not my face. Oh, I kind of felt bad for her there. It's just it was an honest insecurity moment. And so as Bethany's kind of poo-pooing the idea of dating a model, Frankie's like, look, you need to change things up. You're always dating the same kind of dude. And clearly it's not working. Bethany's kind of given in. She says, yeah, it's been a while. You know, I'm a born-again virgin at this point, which everyone's loving. She says, I don't want to be a born-again virgin. I want to be a born-again slut. And everyone dies laughing. And if you put yourself back to when this aired, people just didn't talk like that. She was hilarious. Or if they did, they tried to hide it. It was just so refreshing to see someone be honest on television. So then Frankie says, well, I can show you a picture of him. And of course, Bethany's like, absolutely. And once she sees the photo, she says he's too good looking for her. And Frankie's like, come on, just give it a chance. And in her confessional, we see her say, fine, you know, what do I have to lose? It's like looking at something pretty for an hour at the very least. And then we get a hilarious scene where Bethany is getting her hair washed by Frankie and she's asking him what she should wear on the blind date. 
and Frankie tells her to show off her boobs. And he has this really thick French accent and he says, ah, your boobies. I love your boobies. It's so hilarious. And Bethany starts dying laughing. And then she tells his assistant, more gay men like my breasts than straight men. Like truth, 100%. And we hear in Bethany's confessional, she says it's just too bad that Frankie is gay because he'd be perfect for her. He's quiet. He's cute. He has a nice ass. And then we see as Frankie is cutting Bethany's hair. She says, look, in the next three years when I'm 40, if neither of us are married, we can get married and have a kid and I'll take care of you and you can do whatever you want. And Frankie's like, all right, it's a deal. And then the scene ends with Bethany saying, just don't get jealous of other men. And Frankie's like, "Uh, excuse me. She's like, "Okay, well, don't steal any of my men either. It's pretty great. So then we open up with Alex. She's in her Brooklyn townhouse. There are new floors that are getting installed. It looks like they're like halfway in. She and Simon are kind of sweeping off the middle section that's there. And they're going over planning for the big housewarming party that they're having. And it's great. They pull out because they have no furniture to sit on. So they pull out like two red little ottomans, flop them on the floor. And so they're sitting and having the conversation about invites. Alex goes right out and says it. Let's just invite everyone. And she's assuming that Ramona probably just won't come. They've had several run-ins at this point, and Ramona is not shy about pointing out how much she can't stand Alex and Simon, especially Simon. And as they're sitting there talking, Alex is mentioning that she thinks Ramona really just lives in like the land of make-believe, which becomes her reality. And even better, Alex says that she's not sure if Ramona is an appropriate party guest, but if Simon wants to invite her, she's going to go along with it. Simon kind of sells it a little bit. He says they made up and had a big hug at the page six party. Alex still isn't totally sold, but in her confessional, she says she has no idea why Simon cares so much about inviting Ramona. But if that's what he wants, she doesn't care. She's going to go along with it. And then we open with Ramona. She's going to, of course, Dr. Sharon Giese's office, her favorite plastic surgeon who won't do invasive stuff, but just keep her looking youthful, as she says. And as she explains, she likes maintaining her look because if you look good, you feel good. And they do a couple of on-the-spot confessionals here with Ramona, which I love because she's just standing outside the office, like on the sidewalk. It's so classic. I love it. And so Ramona sits down with Dr. Sharon Giese, and I've got to give it to her because as someone who suffers from this same ailment, she just puts it out there, even though she's a bit embarrassed, and says that she's got some sweating issues that she had him in her 20s, and it's kind of come back where she just sweats from under her arms and ruins her shirts, and she doesn't really know why. And I love that she's willing to kind of take a vulnerable moment on the housewives and not be all pretentious all the time. It was, I forgot she did this. It was just a bit unexpected from her. I, I like to see this side. So Dr. Sharon Giese tells her that she's got a new treatment for it. People have been doing Botox, but she's got something else. Ramona, of course, loves it because as she said, she loves something new. So Dr. Sharon Giese explains that there's this new internal ultrasound thing that she can do. Ramona's a little worried that she'll scar, but the doctor just explains it's not really that bad. And then I'm sure, who knows, maybe she's even getting a little freebie. So she's got to throw in, oh, you know what? I also get these dark spots on my face. You know, if you've got something for them, which, of course, Dr. Sharon Giese said she does. And then we flash back to the -the on-the-spot confessional with Ramona on the sidewalk. And she points out if she can look good without being invasive, she's going to do it. And she says, look, a lot of people get lipo. I'd rather go on a diet and go to the gym. Some people get duck lips or stretch their eyes out from a facelift. She's not doing that. But as she explains, she does like to do a little maintenance. 
And to have no pain and all gain, she thinks it's amazing. And you can't deny it. She does look freaking amazing. So we then open up with Jill in her condo. She's with Bethany. Ginger is, of course, incessantly barking her little dog. And I love it. Bethany just screams out, you are the biggest bitch ever. And it's so true because Ginger is just the most annoying dog. And then she growls at Ginger and Ginger kind of backs down. And it's like, exactly, Jill. She just needs a little bit of discipline. It's so funny. And I always remember this scene when I rewatch the show because I remember watching it and getting this vibe when it first aired. And again, I always say, I think if when we go and watch it back, the cracks between the relationship are starting to show before it really, really before they even know it. And I think this is another one of those times with Jill and Bethany, because the point is Jill and Bethany are sitting down in Jill's condo and Bethany's telling her how hard it is to manage this career of hers, which is really starting to take off. And she wants to achieve a very high level of success. And because of that, she's finding it tough to also manage a personal life and a relationship. And I think it was an opportunity, and I really get the vibe that Bethany thought this was how it was going to go, too, of like having just some girl time where you can share with each other and give each other hope and build each other up, right? Having one of those deep moments with your BFF kind of a talk. And instead, I really think it showed Jill's, I hate to use the word jealousy because it's not quite spot on. But I think the fact that Ramona had recently said to Bethany that, yeah, Jill likes you because you're the underdog, mixed with some of the things that Jill has been doing and we've been seeing, like all of a sudden siding with Kelly Ben Simone and trying to help her, you know, restore her reputation. I just think it really starts to show these cracks between Jill and Bethany. So as I said, Bethany is confiding in Jill that she doesn't like being alone and finding it very hard to achieve the level of success she wants, but also maintain a personal life and a relationship. So she tells Jill about Frankie setting her up with Philippe. And you can tell again, Bethany's trying to have a moment. And Jill immediately deflects and is like, your boobs look kind of smaller. And Bethany, she says it in this way that's annoyed where I feel like she realizes that Jill is starting to try to undermine her. She's like, yeah, well, I've been stressed out, so I think I've lost a couple pounds anyway. And she carries on with her story, which, side note, I wish when I was stressed, I lost a couple of pounds. But, you know, I know Bethany took out her implants very early on in the episodes. And I was wondering if Jill was trying to give her an excuse to talk about it or maybe she was being shady. I I don't know. But the whole thing, it just seems strange that your best friend would bring that up while you're pouring your heart out to them. So Bethany explains Philippe. She gives the background that he's a model, but he doesn't model anymore. He owns a photography studio now. And as Bethany puts it, he's beautiful. And Jill's initial response, it's just, it's it's off. It's the, it's what I said before, where you just get the vibe that something's up. She's like, "Mm, gotta be honest. I don't dig the model thing. I see you with someone more nerdy, which is true. But again, it's just the way that, that Jill comes off here. It just, it's not the right vibe. At least it's not the vibe I'd want to get from my BFF. And Bethany says, no, I get what you're saying. But she explains to Jill that she wants to open her eyes to one thing, which is most of the guys that she's been dating. And as she points out to stop Jill from trying to take over the conversation, I'm in the dating scene. You're not. I know more about this than you do. So just listen. It's the unattractive guys that have been giving her a bad time. She says the good looking guys she's been going out with are just kind of chill and cool and looking to have a good time and are just kind of straight out and honest about who they are. Whereas the unattractive guys, because they didn't get any in high school, they were a little bit insecure about their looks, and now they have money. 
Now they mess with your head because they're so insecure. And Jill's like, I get it. Like, you do have more experience. I'm listening. And then Jill throws out that, you know, well, good looking is personal. And Bethany says, yeah, but there are some people who are just empirically beautiful, which there are. There are some people that the majority of us can agree this person is super attractive, which always makes me think of that Office episode where they go on about Hillary Swank and whether she's hot and there's the big divide in the office. I love that episode. So then Bethany launches into the whole story about the pact with Frankie, where if by the time she's 40, neither of them are married, she'll take care of Frankie, he'll get her pregnant, and then he can go off and do whatever he wants. Which, let's be honest, I understand she wants a child, but as your best friend, you wouldn't want for them to be in a loveless relationship where they're not getting exactly what Bethany says that she she wants. She says she doesn't want to be alone on a Sunday night, right? So uh, that's great. You'll get the kid, but she's not actually. That situation wouldn't give her this, the fulfillment of having somebody in your life who is your person. And so as your best friend, I wouldn't want that for you. And again, I felt like Jill's response was so telling because Jill says, yeah, I actually see that for you. And she goes on to say it's impractical that you can have both personal and professional success. And then we cut to Jill's confessional where she says she told Bethany that you can't have it all. And right now her goal is to be the top natural food chef in the world. And so something's got to give, which I just thought it's so fucking negative. Like that's what your best friend is telling you. Well, nope, you can't have it all. So go be successful and you're going to be alone. It's just like, oh, my God, (laughs) it just didn't make me feel like Jill wants the best for Bethany. Again, it's just such a downer move from Jill, and I feel like the cracks between their relationship are really showing. And Bethany tries to explain that to to Jill. She says, you know, when did she become this person who doesn't have time for relationships? And she acknowledges that her life up till very recently was always defined by men, which is probably due to her father issues, which, again, good on her for pointing this out. And she also comes right out that she was engaged three times. But now she says she's working 24 hours a day. She's alone. And Jill's interjection is, but that's what you want. That's what you want. So again, just not very supportive. And so that's when Bethany tries to explain further that she doesn't want to be alone. Like I said, she doesn't want to be alone on a Friday night, on a Sunday night. She wants a teammate and a partner. She's just getting concerned that she doesn't know if she can have both and find that partner to the degree of success that she wants it. And I love this little comment from Bethany because recall, she was on Martha Stewart's Apprentice, right? She came in second place. And she always wanted to be Martha. And she says to Jill, I used to look at Martha Stewart and say to myself, be careful what you wish for because she's alone with her business. And then we get an on the spot confessional with Bethany, who's just standing in Jill's living room. Her sunglasses are on the top of her head. I love it. And she explains she's always wanted to make a big splash. She wants to be able to support herself. But now she's realizing the sacrifices that that entails because she's 37. Her career is incredible, but she's alone. And she'll always know that she is doing the career thing, but she doubts whether she's ever going to be able to have a kid and find a partner. And so why the hell not? She's going to go on the date with a model. And, you know, I also thought this was a telling scene just about knowing yourself because Bethany was able to do it all in terms of why I think Jill was being so negative. Bethany was able to do it all. In the midst of all of this, she finds Jason. She gets pregnant. She has a daughter. She gets married. She then sells her company for like $100 million, right? Her whole world changed and she did it all at once. But I do think Bethany was onto something where she said she just doesn't know if she's going to be able to find the right partner for her in all of this. 
because as we know, she divorced Jason. He wasn't the right partner for her. And she still seems like she's on a journey, at least with her relationships, to find that person. Next, we open with Luann and Kelly. And Luann has invited Kelly for a girl's night out because two of her nieces are in town, Luann's nieces. And as Luann says, Kelly's young. She thought she would have something in common with her nieces. And then we get a confessional from Luann, which I think is so telling. She's explaining how going out with the girls is like sex in the city. She loves it. She cherishes it, is what she says. And I really think you can see where Luann's focus is, at least at this point in her life. So the four of them sit down and they start talking about their idea of a perfect date. And this is like an, a low-key classic scene of Kelly's. It's, how do you even follow this woman? And I'm sure there's editing and cuts, but man, I would love to see the whole thing, like the whole 20 minutes of this interaction. I would be so here for it because Kelly is just all over the place. So she first leads with saying that she would never do a first date as a dinner date because as she explains, like, where do you go? You can't eat salad on a date. And I love that Luann chimes in like, why not? (laughs) And Kelly doesn't have an answer. She's just all over the place. She says, well, you know, girls are supposed to eat like a bird, but I'm thin enough as it is. And you can't eat pasta on a date, but I like steak. And like, what if I order the steak? And it is just, you're watching it like, what the fuck? It's so hilarious, like in a train wrecky way. And then Kelly goes on to explain that like, when you're with her, you're going to go do stuff. Like she doesn't judgment, no judgment about like what you do. But when you're with her, you're going to like go do stuff. And Luann points out, wow, Kelly, you have a really strict view of what you think should happen and what you consider to be fun. And I just get the vibe at this point. Luann doesn't really know Kelly. But I think she just in this moment seems like she's like, what a fucking psycho. (laughs) I mean, just it's very subtle, but I feel like Luann's starting to get a taste of Kelly. And then we get Luann's confessional where she says that Kelly's dating concepts are that they've got to be awesome and get along so well that they can go out and do stuff, whatever stuff means. And Luann jokes like, whatever happened to dinner in a movie? And then in a classic Alex McCord move, Max, yes, Maximiliano Palazzo, he shows up out of nowhere. And Luann, we hear in her confessional, she says it was really weird for Kelly to invite him to a girl's night and he just kind of shows up. So I've got to say that moment, I can't help but hearken back to the first season at Girls Night Out where Alex has to bring Simon and Ramona freaks out because I agree with Ramona that that was fucking weird. And here is Luann agreeing with us as well. It's just weird to bring a date, a male date to a girl's night out. Come on, that's just whatever. And then we get a confessional from Kelly. And it's so interesting. I noticed she's in a hotel room and they must have rented it for a, a portion of their confessionals for this season. Because again, this is OG housewives, right? This is before they had the fake green screen of your house and made you do confessionals for a whole entire day sitting in front of that green screen, you know, pretending like you're sitting in your living room. Because Alex has a confessional in that same location with that hotel background, those three pictures, four pictures, whatever behind him. And then I note that Simon is, has one in that location later on as well. But we get Kelly's confessional where she explains that she invited Max because she really, really likes him and she knew the girls would just love him. It's, she's so out there. So they, the ladies are kind and they greet Max. Max did not get the welcome that Simon got from Ramona, that's for sure. 
And they say, you know, we're talking about your ideal date and we'd love a man's perspective. So what's your ideal date? And I love that one of Luann's nieces throws out, don't say dinner after Kelly had just like done her tirade about how dare you could like try to go out on a dinner date. (laughs) And so Max thinks about it and says, "Okay, well, maybe something like tango lessons. And Kelly, of course, she it's she does this thing where it's like this is what she thinks flirting is supposed to look like, where she acts kind of shy and coy. And she's like, oh, my God, no. And Max says, you know what, Kelly, maybe you could benefit from some tango lessons, which I just love. She's just awkwardly flirting. The ladies are chatting with him. And so finally, he says he's got a dinner date. He just wanted to stop by and he leaves. And then, of course, we get a classic Kelly. Bye. As he leaves. It's like, oh, God. And Max is an attractive guy. And Luann, of course, is like, well, 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 I think I'm turning red as she's like cooling herself down. And then she says, oh, I get to live vicariously through you single ladies, which we come to find out is totally a lie because apparently her and the Count were having affairs on each other and she was going out and partying and as their marriage was falling apart. So nice cover, though, Countess. And so then Kelly tells the ladies that Max is amazing and she loves him. And it's so funny when she says it, she sounds drunk. It's just something ain't right with her. And then again, because Kelly just can't take the temperature of the room and doesn't really seem to comprehend the English language, Luann asks if she and Max have been on more than one date together. And Kelly's response is, I'm not answering that question. And it's like she literally has no idea how to socially interact. It's just like she applies words to, to situations because she acted like Luann asked something about their sex life or something. She just asked if you've been on more than one date. Like, how, how long have you known the guy? It's, it's really strange. It's like she's just mimicking reactions that she's seen other people do in real life, but doesn't understand when to apply them in real life. It's really fascinating. And we see in Luann's confessional, she says that Kelly is very secretive about her dating life and all d- things dating. And Luann says, she never answered my question either. And then Luann kind of thinks about it. She goes, well, she actually never does, though. I just love it. It's That's a perfect descriptor of Kelly. And then we get what is one of the low-key, classic Kelly Ben Simone moments, because Luann asks her, so Kelly, what does it take for you to let your hair down? And she has her hair like in a half ponytail, half of it up on top of her head in a pony. And she literally takes out the ponytail holder and like shakes her hair out. And Luann's reaction is like, whoa, Kelly, it's a joke. I'm joking. I'm not, you don't really have to take your hair down. And Kelly just kind of goes with it and is like throwing her hair back and forth. She has no clue what's happening on planet Earth. And in Luann's confessional, she says, it went right over her head. Like, I was joking. I was speaking metaphorically. And she didn't pick up on any of it. So then we cut to Alex's house. Appliances are getting delivered. She and Simon are going over checklists that they have. And it actually kind of looks like she's wearing the Halloween costume from when she was Sarah Palin. It's like that black skirt and this and the jacket. I was almost wondering if they were getting ready for the day and that night was Halloween or something. As Simon leaves for the day, you can see Alex is going to take over as general contractor. Their workers are everywhere in the house. They're finishing projects. She explains it's five days into the party. And we get a confessional from Alex where she says the renovation has been years in the making and they are more or less on schedule. And again, she's doing this confessional from that same hotel room that I just mentioned. And she goes on to explain that this is money that they've set aside. This is definitely a plan that they are executing. So we see Alex. She's giving direction to all the contractors as the deliveries arrive. You know, the wine fridge is arriving, the dishwasher is arriving, the stove, everything. And on top of it, it is 
pouring rain. It is like storming outside. And they're having steel windows or doors maybe even installed in the back of the kitchen. And you can see water's getting inside and it's been delaying the work. And Alex is stressing because as she explains, the weather report is saying that it's just going to keep pouring rain. So I did feel kind of bad for Alex as I'm sure she was feeling a lot of pressure to deliver on this house project. And even more important, I think it was very important to Simon. So she probably had double the pressure because we know how he is. And so the scene ends with her saying, we're five days away and let's really hope it stops raining. So then we cut to Bethany. She's going on a date with the model, Pierre. No, Philip. I always call him Pierre. She's going on the date with the model, Philip. I even have Pierre written in some of my notes. It's hilarious. Philippe, Philip, Philippe. We'll go with Philippe. And Bethany goes on that she has zero expectations. It's a blind date, mind you. So we see them meet. It looks like they're in kind of a little private room or at least a private booth at the restaurant called Philippe, which I think is an Asian fusion restaurant. Bethany knows the owners. And as she explains to Philippe, this is where she invented the skinny girl margarita. And so this is one of the first times we see that Bethany can just order the skinny girl margarita from the waiter and it's a drink that they serve. So they're helping her launch it. Well, I shouldn't say helping her launch it, but as a friend, they're helping support her, which is always great. So they meet, they sit down, they get their drinks, and we see in Bethany's confessional, she says, Frankie gets a gold star for this one. Like, he's adorable. And Bethany has, of course, ordered a skinny girl margarita, which elicits the conversation between the two of them that she invented the skinny girl margarita at this restaurant. And Philippe says, oh, yeah, Frankie told me all about it, which I think is also clearly a little bit more evidence of how much this is starting to take off. Bethany's been talking about it. Now her friends are telling other people about it because it is starting. She got the deal. Things are starting to happen. And it's a really sweet interaction. They seem to be having a little, you know, there's chemistry between the two of them. But I do have to note, I really feel like the language barrier was definitely a barrier for the two of them because he really, in the end, they seemed to have, you know, maybe sexual chemistry and were attracted to each other, but he didn't seem to get Bethany's humor. And I don't think in the end he would have been a match for her. And as we see Bethany say, knowing Bethany, she was using humor to get through the evening. And as a perfect example, she says to Philippe, did Frankie tell you that I'm a ball buster? And he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what ball buster is. And as she explains it, it's hilarious. She's like, you know, I'm always busting balls. (laughs) It's pretty funny. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she says, apparently, I need to make sure that you understand if you go on a date with me that I bust balls, like just giving her a bad time about the things that she says while she's out on dates. But she goes on to say he was very sheepish and sweet and shy And she really thinks she prejudged him as with the model thing. And she was wrong. He was very, actually very sweet and very intellectual. And you can tell Pierre's digging it too. He, at the very end, says to her, he wants to go out and and cook with her. He's a a decent cook, but he wants to cook with her. So clearly he wants a, a second date. And so in the end, we see them cheers, you know, here's to Frankie. It's a really fun scene and great to see Bethany having fun. So next we open with Bethany, Jill, and Bobby and Brad, of course. Jill has ordered a white Escalade limo, and Bethany just can't let it go. She's like, oh my God, I have like a no white limos rule, and here I am, Jill. Like, way to go, Jill. She's like very subtle. And we see Bethany going on and on in the back. She's like, glad I spoke with Ted Turner about being green. I'm sure he's going to love this in the Escalade limo. And she's going on that she's with the Yenta gel. And she's like, her mouth is like an automatic tennis ball machine. We all know it. 
And it's interesting. I felt like this was one of the only scenes where I ever saw Bethany getting annoyed with Jill in a way that I actually could see Jill having a little bit of reason to be annoyed because most of the time I do think it was Jill's own demons that were haunting her and making her act like that. It wasn't because Bethany was doing anything to Jill. But in this moment, I felt like, again, little cracks are showing. I feel like "Mm, Bethany was digging a little. But then she turns it around knowing Jill with a joke about her huge boobs. Because as Bethany points out, like, here's just a note. You've got big boobs. You're like a member of the Harlem Globetrotters. And Jill loves it, right? She knows Bobby likes big boobs. Here's Bethany doing the jokes in front of all of them. Jill loves it. And then we hear Bethany deliver the line. Yeah, I mean, I've got a question. Where's the baby you're breastfeeding? And the place goes wild. And it's just one of those quick little scenes. It's like the Kelly running scene or that other Jill scene. It's just a quick little snippet, like an in-between filler for commercials. So next, it is Alex and Simon's party. The time has arrived. We open up on the house. Simon explains that they finished literally just before the party. And then we get a Simon confessional, and he's in that same hotel room. He explains that Kelly arrived a little bit early, I think, to make up for the whole Halloween fiasco where she didn't show up. So we see Kelly arrive at the house. She is indeed there first. They get She gets the little tour. And again, they did a great job. I will say there was nothing wrong about the the layout. I loved that they did it all from top to bottom. I'm pretty sure the front part of the house where you walk in was what used to be their master bedroom area. Now it's like a living room, kind of a formal living room, a living room, a dining room, and then the kitchen. And it's all a long, thin, kind of Brooklyn brownstone style where it all travels to the back. It looks great when you compare it to what it was. But as Bethany says, it's a little bordello. And it is. It's red and black is most of the theme. And then, But then they went with this gray, I don't know, like a, a blue-gray color on the doors and the trim. It was okay for them. I could see how some people would love it. They had Alice Cooper with the big snake, the huge photograph. It took up a whole entire wall. They've got the fabrics that they picked out from Zarin Fabrics, which is the the red with the black kind of fleur-de-lis, very bordello looking. And again, it looks great. The chandelier matches. It's, it's just, it's not my style. It's not probably a lot of people's style, but there's nothing empirically wrong with it. And I thought the kitchen looked great too. So then we get a total pretentious Kelly New York City Manhattanite statement because Kelly, they're leaning against the counter. They're kind of having a chat before everybody else gets there. Kelly asks, where where are we exactly? Alex explains they're in Cobble Hill. And then Kelly says, "Okay, so like what's the equivalent in New York? And Simon has to remind her, we are in New York. We're in one of the five boroughs of New York in Brooklyn. And she goes, oh, sorry, Manhattan, Manhattan. And I just thought, oh, it's such a perfect look into Kelly and that model scene and really the Manhattanite vibe. You, you remember that Sex in the City episode where they talk about so there's certain men who have never left the island of Manhattan. And I just feel like Kelly is really showing that side. And we get Alex's confessional. And I totally agreed with it, where she says it always makes her laugh when people make such a big deal about coming into Brooklyn from Manhattan. She's like, it's literally a five minute town car ride. Like, get over yourself. So then the white Escalade must have arrived because Brad and Bethany and Jill and Bobby get there. And Bethany walks in and she is gobsmacked. Like, she's like, holy shit. Because recall, she was there last year for one of the kids' birthday parties and was totally shocked by the state of their house. And she explains it is a little bordello, a little gothic. She says it looks like one of Simon's bizarro outfits, which is such a great point because it does. 
but she's totally shocked at how quickly they worked and just the total change that it was. As she says, it was a total perspective shift when she walked in. So then Jill walks in. Of course, the first thing she says is, hold on, I have to examine this because it's our work at Zarin Fabrics. She gives it her stamp of approval. She's also completely shocked that it was done on time. And so you can tell there's some other people at the housewarming party. And Jill goes up to say hello to Kelly, who she hasn't seen since Kelly didn't bother showing up to her own Halloween party. And you can tell Jill's annoyed and Kelly's like, hi, you're upset. And Jill's like, yeah, I'm pissed. You should have, you should have, because, you know, that's like the, the narcissist's favorite. You should have done this and I wouldn't have been pissed. You should have done that. But it doesn't matter, right? They, you can never make them happy. But Jill's you should have her. But Kelly kind of apologizes and you can tell Jill gives in a little bit. And Jill is going on with this story that she went to another Halloween party that night where Puffy was there and he was dressed as a priest and was going around blessing everybody and it was hilarious. And then we get Bethany's confessional because Bethany's kind of sitting off to the side in a chair and she says there is definite tension with she and Kelly, which you can see because when Kelly leaves, she goes in, she gives Jill a kiss on the on the cheek and then she does that fake, see you later, bye, and just walks off and doesn't even really recognize Bethany. And Bethany just sits there and smirks. It's like so expected. And then we get a perfect setup for the next scene because Jill says she can't take the tension between Kelly and Bethany and she's going to do something about it. So we see the group all toast around the beautiful island in their kitchen with some champagne. Everyone's congratulating them on how great the house works. And we see in Simon's confessional, he says, surprise, surprise, Ramona didn't show. So then they kind of sit on their red velvet couch after everyone's left with their feet up saying, oh, we did it. They're enjoying their house. Helix points out that the Decaturers got to test drive her kitchen before she did. She can't wait to get in there and cook. And there's this moment where I feel like because Simon is always like sexually inappropriate with her, like grabbing and kissing her and just it's in public. There's this moment where I totally get the vibe where she doesn't want him to come in and be gross and kiss her. And so she kind of looks off to the kitchen and acts like, oh, we're so good. And he kind of goes with it. I just got the vibe. I'm like, she's uncomfortable by the behavior. And that's the tell. And then lastly, I also noticed it was really weird. But when you first walked in and they're giving everybody the tour, they've got the red velvet couch and like this red velvet chair that matches it, which is under their Alice Cooper photo kind of in the corner. But in the end of this scene, when they're sitting on the couch kind of going over the night and saying, oh, we did it, the chair is gone. Like, where the hell's the chair? It's so weird. So anyway, just something strange I noticed. So then we get our last scene, which I thought this is so interesting because the title of this episode is Van Kempen's House Party. And what they would do now, which is so annoying, is it would end with the Van Kempen's House Party, which that's not the annoying part. But they probably would have been like a to be continued in between. You wouldn't have even gotten to see the reveal or whatever, right, of the of the party. But I just thought it was so interesting because they're not ending the episode with the Van Kempen's House Party. It's the second to last scene because then we get this other epic Kelly Bethany scene where we open up on Jill's condo. She's prepping for charity meeting number three for her Quickie Joints charity. And Kelly shows up early and Jill explains that she's organized for Kelly and Bethany to come over early to her condo to sit down and kind of have a talk to try to make nice, nice. And as they walk through, Jill's giving her a little bit of the the tour of her new apartment. You know, she's just remodeled it. And as we remember those POP, those glass tables, the mirrored tables that are in her living room that Jill didn't really like, but Brad was insistent upon them. Bethany was like, yeah, definitely no. Kelly walks by. She's like, oh, my God, I have these tables. I have STK for my kids. 
And I just love it because these are the tables that Jill hates. She was totally in a disagreement with Brad over them. But she doesn't really, she says, oh my God, Brad's going to love these. He picked these out. But I noticed she didn't go so far as to say that she doesn't like the tables, which I also thought was a tell that she still is kind of trying to impress Kelly and is kissing her ass a little bit, even with everything that she's done to her so-called best friend, Bethany. Again, a little bit of crack starting to show. So then we see Bethany arrives. Bethany explains there is definitely a tension between them, but there are bigger things than this stupid nonsense between she and Kelly, like the charity. So her goal is to just, as Dorinda put it, make it nice and put a pin in it. All of which leads up to another iconic Kelly-Bethany scene where Kelly is just truly crazy and a bit insufferable. So they go into Allie's room, which also has been redone. It looks great. Bethany, they sit on the bed, she and Kelly. And Bethany says, it's like, again, it's like someone told her about the word flattered. And so she just uses it over and over again and doesn't realize how to use the word. Kelly explains to Bethany that she's so flattered by that. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. And so Kelly goes on to say, look, I'm really sorry I didn't say hi to you or whatever. Like, why would I purposefully do that? Why would I try to make you feel bad? And Bethany says, well, I don't know. The last time I saw you, you said you were up here and I was down here. So I thought maybe that she thought you were better than me. And Kelly's response is so hilarious and infuriating. She's like, what? Like, what? Like, as if she has no clue about the last meeting. Like, what are you? It's just earth to Kelly. And then Kelly gives us our first reference to making a mountain out of a molehill, because don't forget, we'll get a little bit of that in season three with Ramona. And Kelly tries to tell Bethany that, do you know what making a mountain out of a molehill is, which she doesn't really say it properly. And Bethany corrects her and she's like, yes. And Kelly's like, well, that's what you're trying to do here. And then Kelly tries to do this like weird reversal thing where she tells Bethany that Bethany told her that she's so high. And Bethany's like, what? No, you said that to me. And in Bethany's confessional, she's like, I really think the last meeting was like an imposter because Kelly has like no idea what she said to me at that meeting. It is it's it is it's like Looney Tunes time. You can tell I really do think at this point you can see Kelly. She doesn't know how to handle it because I don't think she knows how to have any kind of social interaction or communicate properly. And so as Bethany is trying to explain to her what Kelly did at the last meeting and why Bethany is not the one who said she's so high, we get the classic Kelly, stop, stop, Bethany, Bethany, stop, Bethany. And it's just crazy. She will not let Bethany start talking without the stop, Bethany. It is crazy town. And then Kelly tries to explain to her, look, if you have something to say to me, just come and pull me aside and we can sit and talk. And Bethany's like, yeah, this is what we're doing right now, Kelly. And then you can tell Kelly is just spiraling. She's like, look, this conversation is over. This conversation doesn't mean anything to me. You know, you said rude things to me. You attacked me in front of all of your friends. I love Bethany's comeback, which was so you just say rude things to me in front of no people. It was so good. And Kelly just, she cannot handle any of it. She can't being uh, handle being called out on her BS, the hypocrisy. It's again, it's like she doesn't really, I don't think she understands how to behave or even to process what's going on around her. And so Kelly's like, look, we're here. And she, this is something she does is where she just starts like pointing out facts in the room. Because again, I don't think she knows how to process those facts. So she says, look, we're in Allie's room. She's a sweet girl. She's 13. Like we're sitting on her bed. And you can see Bethany's like, holy shit, what is going on? 
And Kelly goes on, you look adorable in that Zach dress, because I guess Bethany's wearing a Zach Posen dress, which I think is the dress from the book cover photo shoot that we see. It doesn't get on the cover because remember, they went with like the jeans and the t-shirt, the more relatable shot. But we see her get photographed in that black Zach Posen dress. So I was wondering if it was um, the same day even. But it is really jarring. She's like, you look really cute in that Zach dress. There's a blue comforter on the bed. It's like, what is she talking about? And we see in Bethany's confessional, she's like, that was so weird. Like, what does my dress have to do with anything we were talking about? And as Bethany explains, look, we just don't come from the same planet. So clearly the conversation is over. Kelly isn't having any of it. And Bethany's like, okay, we'll just agree to disagree. So they walk out of the room. She tells Jill, Bethany does, that she needs a glass of wine stat. And Jill realizes she forgot the wine for the charity party. And so Kelly offers to go get it because, as she says, she wants a chai latte anyway. So so Kelly goes to go get the wine. She leaves Bethany and Jill there. And Bethany's like, look, we're not going to be friends. Like, this is not going to happen. And then we get, again, just another crappy scene from Jill where she just has to throw a dig at Ramona. And she says, you know, and, and again, I think this is a real crappy dig for television's sake, at least. She says, you know, well, I forgot the wine and Ramona has to have an IV of Pinot Grigio the moment she walks in my house or she's going to yell at me. So I had to go have Kelly get the wine. Mm. Insinuating somebody like drinks too much. This is, She did it to Simon. Now she's doing it to It's just it's not nice. And especially where I feel like it's extra judgmental because she only drinks Diet Cokes, right? So again, Bethany's like, look, we're not going to be friends. Jill's saying, oh, man, I thought the whole thing would be fixed. I'm really shocked, which really, Jill, are you shocked? And then we get, I can't believe it, a to be continued. I was like, oh, my God, it's a TBC. So this episode will be continued. And I loved that it was a to be continued, not at the Van Campen's house party, but on the totally natural and couldn't have been planned scene that happened afterwards, which was Kelly having a total crazy moment again on Bethany. And that's how the episode ends. So join us next time for the To Be Continued, where we break down Real Housewives of New York City, Season 2, Episode 12, the season finale, Charity Wives. And as always, please download our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other places you find your podcasts. And please like and follow us on our pages at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Deep Fix Podcast. Until next time, see y'all then.